Praise the Lord, church. All right, well, we're here for uh, the Word of God, and we're excited about uh, joining a, a new series in the month of June. We are going to be preaching and teaching about our uh, commitment to engagement in the community and our commitment to seeing ourselves as a blessing to every single space. I know we talk about this almost every week. There's not a moment that we don't incorporate something into a sermon where we're talking about the way in which we are being equipped to go and be a blessing wherever it is that God send us. Somebody say amen. Um, there's there's a, a uh, in some ways, a, a, a sickness within the church that we are trying to address. Um, and the sickness is this idea that the gospel is all about your happiness, your salvation, and making sure that you and God are right with each other. And, and we have believed that. It's been taught within the church. And we kind of come to this point where all I have to do is read the Bible, pray, and go to church, and I am just okay. You probably heard that. You probably said that. You've probably done that. But there's this entire component of being faithful in how we live out our, our walk with God that requires of us. Micah 6, 8 says, what is required of you, O man or O woman? What is required of you as a believer in God? It doesn't say, and I'm not saying reading the Bible is bad. Don't, don't twist my words up this morning. But it doesn't say, read your Bible, pray, and go to church. In Micah 6, 8, it says to do justice. Somebody say, do justice. Love mercy. Somebody say, love mercy. love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. That is the, the righteous requirement of the law, as Micah points out to us, that if we are to be right with God, then that requires of us to make sure that we are right with the various settings that God has placed us in. Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Wherever it is that you go, things need to get better. Okay? If we show up into, into a particular place, and if we're there for, you know, this church has been around since 1959. And if somehow the ministry of Mission Ebenezer, if somehow the goodness of what God is doing stays locked in this 415 West Torrance Boulevard address, then we are missing the point of the gospel because what God does in us has to translate to what God will do through us. But we get tripped up on things like my own personal relationship with Jesus. You probably heard that. You probably said that. You probably taught that. But I want to say this morning that there's no such thing as a personal relationship with Jesus. That the moment we have a relationship with Jesus, it automatically impacts every relationship that I have. So my relationship with Christ immediately transforms my marriage. It immediately transforms my children. It immediately transforms my workplace. It immediately transforms my neighborhood because there's no such thing as just keeping it good between me and God and everybody else doesn't matter. And if we're confused about that, it's probably because we have not spent enough time in the portion of the scriptures called the prophets. Somebody say the prophets. Um, you see, the, the thing about this, uh, and again, um, don't twist my words up, but the reason why this concept of a personal relationship with Christ can be problematic, um, let me just kind of go reverse for a second and do a little bit of explaining as to how we've come to this point and how we need to address it so that we could become a more impactful people of God. Um, the origins of this phrase, personal relationship with Christ, come from a time 
when it was just assumed and expected that if you were born into a family that was a believing family, if you were born into a family that would have been labeled Christian, in fact, even in many countries in the world today, on the birth certificate of a child, I had a, a student that I was uh, ministering to at Azusa Pacific University. He came from Egypt, and he was born Muslim. You might say, well, what do you mean he's a Muslim student? And, and I had to get to know him a little bit to understand his story. And essentially, the moment that you're born, you are assigned a religion. And that is usually based on what your father is. And his mother was a Christian, his father was a Muslim, and so at, at birth he was assigned to be a Muslim. And so he chose to go to a Christian university, and I said, hey man, why would you as a Muslim choose to come to the United States of America and to study at a Christian university of all places? He says, well, because I'm very interested in learning about Jesus. I said, what do you mean you're interested in learning about Jesus? I thought you were a Muslim. He says, well, I am, but nobody ever gave me a choice. I was born, and my father's a Muslim, so I was a Muslim. And over the course of three years, we talked about the Bible, we talked about Jesus, and by the time he was getting ready to graduate, he came to my office with a big smile on his face. He picked me up, held me over his head. He's a big guy. And he says, Pastor Kolb, I want to share something with you. I'm in. I was like, what do you mean you're in? He goes, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. And you have to understand that for somebody like him to say that means that he is willing to risk the relationship with his father and his father's side of the family because they would disown him for making the choice to pursue Jesus. So I share all of this to say that cultural Christianity is this notion that you had no say, you had no input, your parents were Christian, you, many, many were born and raised in a Catholic tradition, and, and when you're raised in that tradition, you are baptized before you could even say mama, right? Before you could even say dada, before you could walk, you were baptized, and so you were declared to be a Christian, or in that case, a, a Catholic, which by the way, uh, when we think about Catholicism and Christianity are both religions that look to Jesus. Um, but, but, but in that particular practice, you are already declared to be a Christian at that very moment. You didn't have much to do with it. So the evangelical church or the Protestant evangelical church, which is part of what we're connected to as an Assemblies of God church, we come from a tradition that says that nobody is born um, already having given their life over to Jesus. But there comes a point in our lives where we recognize our sin, our need for God, and we make a personal choice to follow Jesus and declare that he is Lord and Savior. At that point, we encourage someone to pursue baptism. Does that make sense? And this might seem like, you know, a Protestantism 101, but I just want to make sure that we're all tracking because there are a number of good and negative things that come along with our development as a people and as a church. So essentially, our response to this cultural Christianity was to say, no, it's not about what your family believed. It's not about what your grandparents believed. It's not about where they took you when you were a few months old and who said a prayer over you. It's about whether or not you have made the, you have said the prayer, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I want to follow you. And as a result, we begin our, and then we insert the phrase here, personal relationship with Jesus. Is everybody following what I'm saying so far? So, so the, the, the way that phrase came about was because we are combating this notion that you can become an automatic Christian. There's no such thing as an automatic Christian. I heard it put this way. God has no grandchildren. 
right? So in other words, we're all of us who have decided we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to turn our, our, our back on the ways of this world. We're going to make Jesus Lord and Savior, right, at that point. And when we've made that choice and we're following him, we, we, we call that a personal relationship with Christ, which is great. But the negative component of that is when we overemphasize personal or individual, then all of a sudden we start to believe this theology that somehow we could practice our faith in isolation. That somehow the only thing that matters is what I do in my own life. And as long as I keep myself right and do the right things and don't do the wrong things and go to the right places and don't go to the wrong places and all of these things are okay, then I'm going to be just fine with God. And here's the reason why that is a, uh, a, a, a truncated, abbreviated version of the gospel is because when we do that, then all of a sudden all I'm worried about is me, myself, and I, and I'm no longer having open eyes and ears and a heart for, and a hands for how God might use me to live out the gospel in me so that somebody else's life and some other community can be impacted by the work that God is doing in my life. So the Protestant evangelical church, as much as we have contributed a blessing to the global church, which is we need to have a connection with God ourselves. We can't rely upon mom and dad's connection with God. So that's the contribution. The way in which we need to correct ourselves is we've turned that into a disregard for anybody else other than myself. Right? And, and, and we've done that. I'm going to kind of explain some of that a little bit more as we go. Um, but essentially... A true disciple is not marked by belonging to the Christian church, uh, but, but is really whether or not we're ready to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay, And with that comes the way in which we uh, are ready to allow that to impact everywhere that we go. So let, let me go ahead and get to our passage that we're actually going to be studying for, for a few weeks. So I'm going to read the entire chapter, so hang in there with me, Isaiah chapter 58, go ahead and open up your Bibles, um, your, your physical Bibles or your electronic Bibles, your phone Bibles, the Bible app, Isaiah chapter 58, this is going to be our, our focus that we're going to be looking at. So starting in verse 1 of Isaiah 58, uh, if you, your, your Bible may have a title like mine which says true fasting or may say something similar Isaiah 58 so it says this starting in verse 1 shout it aloud do not hold back raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins for day after day they seek me out they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its god they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for god to come near them why have we fasted they say and you have not seen it so, 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 God, so Isaiah is voicing out what, how God views his people, and, and God's people are saying to God, come on, Lord, why are we even doing all this stuff, this fasting and, and all this, and you have not even seen it? 
The people of, of God continue to say, why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then this is God's response to the people. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all of your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Let me read that verse one more time. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger, and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your fame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to the feast uh, and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a powerful and challenging chapter of the word of God. Amen. You all know that when you come to Mission Ebenezer, you never know if you're going to get a feel good verse or, or a feel tough verse. And today is the latter. Because it's a reminder to us, God is saying to his people, his, this is a conversation between the people of God and God. And they're saying, Lord, we've been doing all the right religious things. So why is it that our prayers are not being answered? And why is it that we're not experiencing the blessing that we so expect as the people of God? 
right? We're fasting, we're praying, we're worshiping, we're singing, we're going to church. We even look good when we go to church. We even smell good when we go to church, Lord. Right? It, we, we, we see this, 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 this conversation between God and his people, and, he, and, and they're, they're crying out to God saying, come on, Lord, how come you're not hearing us? How come you're not seeing us? And God said, is that what you call worship? Is that what you call church? God is saying to his people. You show up at a certain place, you sing songs the right way, you dress up, you look nice, right? And, 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 you, and that's what you call church? God's saying, no, 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 no. There's hungry people all around you. There's naked people all around you. There's homelessness all around you. There's brokenness all around you. There's hurting. There's pain. And yet the people of God, us comfortably, I'm including myself in it. This is not your problem. This is our problem. Drive in our nice cars, in our well-paved highways, from our homes right to church, and then right back to our homes with a disregard for what it means to be the people of God out in the streets. So God says, hey, that song sounded nice this morning, but, but how are the hands matching the voice? How, how are our feet being led to be the light of the world in the darkest places? You see, when we read about Jesus, you're never going to find Jesus uh, 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 um, uh, constantly going to places where people have no needs. Jesus is regularly involved in spaces and places where people were left out, where people were marginalized, where people were joked about, where people were spat on. He hung out with, with Samaritans, right? You, you, you might be like, what, what, what's the significance of Jesus hanging out with Samaritans? Jesus would intentionally go to the other side of the neighborhood and walk around in those streets, even though people would be looking through their, their blinds trying to figure out what a Jew is doing in the Samaritan neighborhood. And Jesus would just say, I'm just coming here because my my God is the God of all these neighborhoods and not just my neighborhood. He's not just the God of the Jews, but he's the God of the Samaritans. Jesus wasn't afraid what time it was when he walked through Samaria. He wasn't afraid what people were going to think when he, when he strolled through town wearing something that Samaritans didn't typically wear. Jesus was more concerned with the fact that we have created these artificial divisions in our culture and society, and he was constantly being drawn to those who were left out, those who were, who, who were, who were looked down upon, those who were considered less than, and he wanted to make sure that they heard that there's something called the good news. If people disregarded women in the first century, which they did, what did Jesus do? He talked to women. If Jesus disregarded uh, or if culture disregarded people who had sickness and all kinds of infirmity, because in those days there was not a, a separation between sickness and spirituality. If you were sick, it oftentimes in their theology and belief meant that there was something spiritually wrong with you. Therefore, there were certain conditions that would preclude people from coming to worship because of their sickness. So Jesus said, well, if they can't come to church, then guess what? The church has got to come to them. And so he would heal the sick, and he would hang out with lepers, and he was constantly breaking through these areas. Why? Because true worship is not how long we can go without eating. True worship is not whether or not we sound beautiful on Sunday morning. True worship is being connected to the heart of God, which looks out for every single one of his children, especially the ones who need it most. Is everybody tracking with me so far? Okay, many of us are, are, are parents. 
And, and for those of us who are parents, you know what it's like to have a child who has a need, right? And when your child has a need, moms and dads, for whatever reason, especially moms, understand what it's like to care for that child's need, right? You'll, you'll, you'll drive to four different CVSs if the first three didn't have the right little thing that they needed in that particular moment because you care about your children. Well, guess what? Every single broken individual right now on this Sunday morning while we hang out under, un, under the shade of these tents that, that, that we might be able to drive, through within, uh, drive by within less than 5 to 10 to 15 miles of this place is a beloved child of God. Every prostitute on every corner of this entire county and Orange County and the whole state of California is a daughter of your God. And God loves her like if it's his own girl. Right? But, 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 but we want to make sure that we sing the, the third verse the right way. Because if we, if we could just cry a little bit on the bridge then somehow God's going to connect with us and, and bless us when God's like, get off of the bridge of the song and let's go and be the church in the broken spaces and places of the society that God has called us to. Are, are you hearing me this morning, church? And again, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at, at us. Because Isaiah 58 is just as much part of the Bible as any other verse that has made me feel good over my 37 years of life. And in Isaiah 58, we see that God's people were sinning, not because of something that they did, but God's people were sinning because of something that they didn't do. Let me say that one more time. In Isaiah 58, God is calling them out not because of something that they did, not a sin that they committed, but God's calling them out because of actions that they omitted and didn't do. And so as the people of God, right, this concept of a personal relationship with Jesus, the moment Jesus has grabbed hold of my heart, it immediately has implications for how I am to use my resources, my time, my energy, my money, whatever it is that God has given me to be a blessing wherever it is that I am, especially in the places where there's a need, where there's a lack, where there's brokenness. We can no longer uh, allow ourselves to stay comfortably placed within the house of God when within just a few miles of where we worship, there are broken needs and there are hurts and there are struggles and challenges that have everything to do with how we as the people of God can operate and act to do something about those challenges so here's why we don't though can I get can I go there is that all right okay I haven't seen anybody leave yet but I have seen a few people scrolling on their phones which means they're mentally checked out it's all good I might check out myself if I were listening to me saying what I'm saying this morning too. But a lot of you are still, still here, so amen. Here's a, here's a little bit of the reason as to why we have trained ourselves to not care. Is it okay if I say it that way? Right? Because what did Jesus say? Remember, we said this last week. Jesus said, wherever your heart is, what? There your treasure will be, Right? And so in other words, I, I, I like to summarize and paraphrase Jesus' words by simply saying, put your money where your mouth is. And your money is your time, right? There's nothing more valuable that you have than your time, okay? Believe it or not. So time is money. Money is money, right? 
energy is money, okay? And so, so essentially, as we, as, we, as we enter into this conversation, here's a little bit as to why we trained ourselves within the church to not care. Is because uh, in the early, in the late 1800s, in the early 1900s, um, there's a movement that took place within the church, and it was called the social gospel movement. Um, if you're not familiar with the social gospel movement, it, it had a lot of very similar tones of what I'm sharing this morning so far. It was a, 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 a group of pastors and then churches and denominations like the Salvation Army and others that essentially said, there's a lot of people talking about the Bible, but then how, do, how, does, how, does, how does that that Bible study and training and worship in these churches actually make a difference in the communities because they weren't seeing a connection between the church and the community. They were saying, this is what the Christians do on Sunday morning, and then there's drug addiction, gangs, prostitution, homelessness all around, but the churches are more so just concerned about what's happening in the church, not as concerned about what's happening out there. And so there's a group of churches that said, we need to change that so that we as the people of God, the salt and light of the earth, can go and make a difference in the communities. And so new denominations and new organizations began to crop up to address the social ills and evils of society in that moment. So it was a good start. But like everything, right, if we're going to be honest, just like everything, oftentimes when you're trying to address a problem, right, there's, there's, a, there's the right balance of addressing the problem, but then over time you kind of go to the extreme of trying to address one problem and then you create 10 problems when you try to address the first problem. And the problem that came out of that movement was that over time some of those organizations and denominations became concerned more, more so with making sure people had something to eat making sure they had clothes on their back, but they forgot about the fact that Jesus was the one driving those Christians to do that good work in the first place. And some stopped preaching Jesus. So they still have soup kitchens and they still have uh, thrift shops and they still have these wonderful outreaches, but after a while, the outreaches stopped, to inclu stopped including the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save us of our sin. So then the, the, the branch called the fundamentalist branch of the evangelical church saw that movement and said, we cannot stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then there was essentially kind of like an unspoken truce at that point that says, you do the feeding and the clothing and we'll do the preaching. And to this day, there's been a split in the church where some don't do any good works for the community, but preach only. And others don't preach Jesus anymore, but they do the good works. And here's why that's a problem for the world, especially for people that don't know Jesus. You ever hired a, a painter to come over? Okay, I've done it once, I think. Most of the time I paint myself, but this last time I was like, I need help. So I hired a painter to come. So, so, so what I just explained about one of the problems in the church today is kind of like hiring a painter. But what if I called the painter that I wanted to come and help me out? And I said, hey, man, this is what I'm looking to do. You know, I'm looking to do the front room. I'm looking to do the hallways. I'm looking to do this bathroom. Are you sure I could do the whole house? Here's my quote. No, thank you. I don't have that extra thousand. <laughs> this is all I got. Let's just stick with those rooms that I just mentioned, and we'll do it. And what if the painter said to me, okay, sounds good, but I don't prep. I just come in and paint. So you, you, you need to call somebody else to come in and cut the corners with the tape 
and bring their cloths and everything like that. And once you have that all set, then I'll come and I'll show up and I'll do the painting, right? You know what I'm going to do at that point, right? Hang up. Because I don't want a painting service that, that's telling me I need to hire two different services just to get one job done. But isn't that what it's like in the church today when all of a sudden one set of churches says, we don't need to feed the poor, we just need to preach the gospel. And another set of churches says, we should stop preaching the gospel, we should spend more time feeding the poor, when in reality God has called us to do both. Is everybody tracking with me so far? I know that's a lot of information to take in, but essentially it's painting a picture as to how we've come to where we are today. A lot of it has historical implications and political implications. In fact, I wanted to read uh, a quote that I came upon. I'm reading a book right now by C.S. Lewis. Many of you may know C.S. Lewis as the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia series. A few good movies have come out connected to those books. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Weight of Glory, which is talking about heaven. And in this book, I'm loving it so far, he's essentially saying... Um, uh, uh, that, that we have this problem uh, in the church where we, uh, where, where we have a misconception of what heaven really is. And he starts talking a little bit about that. But in, in light, as he's talking about heaven, he's kind of talking about some things that, that, that have to do with us and impact us here on earth. And, he, and, and this is written, man, it's got to be written about a, a hundred years ago. And just listen to the words and how much they apply to us today. A right? hundred years old. Here's what it says. He says, he who surrenders himself without reservation to the temporal claims of a nation or a party or a class is rendering to Caesar that which of all things most emphatically belongs to God himself. So what C.S. Lewis is saying here is it is our responsibility as the people of God to make sure we're not selling our soul to anything other than to God. But we have people that sell their soul to the Democratic Party. We have people who sell their soul to the Republican Party. We have people who sell their soul to the idea of middle-class America and the American dream. And the moment we sell our soul to something else that isn't of God, the moment we begin to do that is the moment we begin to let go of God's ability to speak directly to us and to our context right now. Here's the reason why that's challenging for us is because we live in a culture that says you have to choose. You must choose this or that. You must choose whether you care about this issue or that issue. You must choose. And, and by the way, once you choose that, if you go to a certain set of churches, then we're going to bless that and we're going to call that God's plan. When in reality, God's plan has nothing to do with any political party that we're a part of in the United States of America. God's plan is God's plan, period. We cannot make God's plan synonymous with any other culture, organization, you name it. God's plan is not synonymous with, uh, with, with a race. God's plan is not synonymous with a class. God's plan is not synonymous with anything other than God's plan. Which is why we as a church talk about challenging issues and we're not afraid to say challenge everything. Because there's nothing that perfectly aligns with God's plan other than God's plan. 
So, so back to this idea of what we're reading about in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 says, you're worshiping all the wrong way. You think you're doing all the right things, but you're missing out on all the things that are important to my heart, God is saying. Right? And the reason why we've allowed ourselves to come to this place in the development of the church is because we've paid too much attention to what people have said the church should be all about. When in reality, God wants us to be passionate about preaching the gospel consistently and clearly and providing a sandwich and putting a clo clothes on somebody's back and helping somebody find shelter and breaking the chains of, uh, uh, chains of gangs and drug addiction and all the challenges that we see around us right now. God is interested in those issues and he wants the people of God to be interested in those issues. Verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 58 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. Did you hear that, church? Some people say, oh, man, pastor, you guys are using the word justice too much in church. You know, you got to watch out about using the word justice in church. And I say, I will stop using the word justice in church when the Bible stops talking about justice in the Bible. But if Isaiah 58 says, be against injustice well then guess what i'm going to be against injustice that means if somebody's being treated wrong because of their gender guess what i'm going to go to bat for that person because they need to be treated right according to the word of god right if somebody's being treated wrong because of their race well then guess what i'm going to go to bat for that person because god says address injustice that's not a non-biblical, unchristian theme. Some people think it is because it could be hijacked and create a new definition of its own. But what I would say is this. If somebody else creates a new definition for justice, does that mean I need to give up on the fact that the Bible uses the word through and through from beginning to finish? Or should I be involved in redeeming that word and concept so we do justice God's way? Right? Oh, man, diversity, That's you got to watch out for that word because, you know, with that comes all these other ideas. No, w w what it shows to us is a lot like Acts chapter 2 when people of all nations and races came together and God said the gospel's for everybody. You don't have to speak a certain language to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So it says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Let me pause right there and ask you this question. In 2021, right here where we are in this area, in this space that God has placed us in, who are the oppressed? Who are those who are, who are experiencing oppression? You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think about that. Who are those who are marginalized? Who are those who are left out? Who are those who have, have been declared less than in our society? And as we sit with that and reflect on that, then immediately as we think about those names or individuals, maybe there's a family member that comes to mind. Maybe you have a family member who's in prison right now. Guess what? They are experiencing lots of different kinds of challenges and, and, and isolation, and, and, and they are in need of love, in need of encouragement. Amen? Verse 7 says, is, not, is it not to share your food with the hungry 
and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. So Isaiah 58. Isaiah is what's called a prophet. Somebody say a prophet. Isaiah was not a king, and Isaiah was not a priest. And in Old Testament, there were three branches of leadership that we find consistently throughout Old Testament history. And those branches are the, 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 the political branch or the king, the, the religious branch or the priest, and then you had the prophet. And the prophet was this kind of in-between figure that was oftentimes at risk of being killed if they said something that the king or the priest didn't like. So every time you see a prophet saying something, they were saying it with the boldness and the courage that they had to say what God thought, whether or not it fit within a political party or whether or not the priest and the temple would like what it is that they were saying. Right? Because when Isaiah in 58 right here starts saying, you're worshiping all the wrong way. You better believe the priests in Jerusalem didn't like what Isaiah was talking about. Like, Isaiah, why are you talking about our job? And for Isaiah, it didn't matter whether or not they liked what he was saying. For Isaiah, it mattered whether or not he was encouraging the people of God to be right with God in their hearts and in their lives, whether or not somebody else liked what it is that they were saying. So the role of the prophet here is to call what is wrong, wrong, and to call what is right, right, regardless of who liked it or not. So Isaiah said we got to worship better, and worship has more to do with how we operate outside of the church walls than how we operate inside of the church walls. It has to do with how we treat the least of these. So God's preparing us as a people, church, Mission Ebenezer. We are, we are uh, strategically located in the, one of the largest cities in the entire world, right off of three major freeways that connect every single community in this massive metropolis called the Los Angeles Basin. And God's place is here for a reason. Why? Not so that we could preserve our own personal relationship with Jesus, but because God is doing something in us that will continually transfer into a radical change in this city, in this land. So, when we think about the usual all right, I'm going to say the sinner's prayer. Now I just got to read the Bible, pray, and go to church. Let's be reminded. Reading the Bible is great. Let's, read, let's know the Word of God. If we know the Word of God, we'll be more faithful to living out the Word of God, right? We won't just be hearers of the Word. We'll be doers of the Word. But you can't be doers of the Word without hearing the Word first. So we got to know the Word of God. Let's not only be focused on, you know, how, how many different language I could pray in. Yes, let's pray. But let's lead that prayer. Let's allow that prayer to lead us into actions that demonstrate the heart of God in the very place that we live in. Amen. And, and just as important as it is to go to church, it's important to be the church. What is it? What's the difference there? To be the church simply means we are, are God is doing something in our fabric, our collective fabric as a people to where we are constantly looking for ways for the work of God that is happening in this place to spill out and spill over into every single street. 
and into every single space that we go back to from this place. Amen? So let me finish with this. As we're studying Isaiah 58, and as we think about this call to faithful living and action, as we, call to, as we think about this call to avoid the temptation to think that religion and spirituality only has to do with my own personal life, as we reject this notion that it's just between me and God and nothing else matters, but as we learn to say, Lord, what you are doing in my life has immediate implications for what you want to do around me, as we move in that trajectory, wherever there is greed that we see in culture and society, God is against that. Wherever there is ignorance of social problems, God is against that. Wherever there's elitism or superiority complexes, I'm better than fill in the blank, God is against that. Wherever there is apathy or a lack of care or concern for the challenges that surround us, God is against that. Wherever there's a disregard for the poor, God is against that. Wherever there's marginalization, God is against that. Wherever there's hurting and brokenness, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is against such things. And so we as the people of God need to be as well. Stirred in our hearts into ways in which we can respond with faithful living individually and collectively as a people. So we're embarking on this series of teaching that's going to continue preparing us for what it means for us to truly be a blessing wherever it is that God calls us. In so doing, we're worshiping the right way. At that point, our prayers are heard. At that point, at that point, we're singing in key. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning, church? I know this is a... Uh, a harder word from the, the word of God, but, but I'm glad that uh, God has brought us to a place to not shy away from challenging words of scripture. Okay? We can handle it. Church, if, if you're there with me, can you say we can handle it? Okay, I like to hear that. I like to hear that. That's good. That's signs of a mature church, right? Some people might not, and that's okay. There's a lot of other churches around here. But there's nothing, you know, some people say, man, just go, I want to go somewhere that makes me feel good. And what I would say is, there's nothing that feels better than knowing we are right in God's eyes. Amen? And even if it's hard, especially when it's hard, right? Uh, We read scripture after scripture that we were never called into an easy way of life when we chose to follow Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He said, the, 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 wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. In other words, it's hard. It ain't easy, but it's right. Oftentimes, the right thing isn't easy. But God's calling us to be faithful as a people, wherever it is that we are, right? In our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, uh, outside. You know, he's calling us to use our gifts and our talents, our, our abilities, You know, some people are amazing organizers. Others are are, are great at coming up with ideas. Others are are amazing at creative ways of of addressing challenges. And God has gifted us beautifully, and we are ripe for 
a revival and transformation in this land. I look around and I see people that God has gifted in just the right way to change the landscape of this place for the, for the, for the glory of God and, for, and through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? If it matters to God, it matters to us. If it matters, come on, somebody say that. If it matters to God, it matters to us. Amen? Here's the, the last thing that's awesome about this call. See, if I, had to, if I had to carry this weight and burden on my own shoulders that I need to change the world, I'm going to give up the moment I just said it because that's a big burden. The beauty is we're a body, right? And some of us get to go, like Pastor Danny gets to go and serve people in the hospitals and be light and salt in the midst of families that are going through some of the hardest moments that they've ever had to go through right? He represents us. We don't all have to be hospital chaplains or lead a group of hospital chaplains, but he's part of our body. And so we collectively get to be part of that group. Some get to go and coach in the inner city communities and teach a kid how to hit a ball or make a tackle or catch a ball. And as much as it sounds trivial, some of the most life-transforming moments take place out on the field somewhere because somebody volunteered their time to be there for a group of kids, some of which maybe never had a, a positive male role model in their life to see somebody and to learn life lessons like hard work and perseverance. That is transformational living in that moment. We have teachers. We have folks who work in various industries. God is calling all of us to say, Lord, how, do, how are you pulling us together to look out from here, right? To look out from here and to say, Lord, use us to be your hands and your feet right here where you've placed us. And let's close today with a simple prayer. Go ahead and place your hands out just like this in a posture of receiving. And repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, use me. My heart, my mind, my hands, my feet to do your work. I want my worship to be acceptable to you. Open my eyes to those around me and use me to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.